listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This is going to be my non-spoiler review of Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 8. If you're watching this on the Archive channel or listening to this as an audio podcast, I go live on YouTube Monday through Thursday. RepeatTheaterLive.com will get you there. Uh, and we do these as a as kind of a book club, watch club for movies and TV shows. So you can go to sntrnetwork.com. That's the network that's got all my shows. And if you click on Repeat Theater, there's a schedule for these reviews as well as the watch parties that we do. It's going to be awesome for Mandalorian Season 2. You're going to want to jump in. The watch parties are fun. The breakdowns will be fun. I'll be doing non-spoiler breakdowns of the, the Mando Season 2 episodes every Friday morning when they, right out, you know, shortly after they hit. So... This will be non-spoiler, all right? If you somehow made it this far and you still haven't watched episode eight, I don't know what you're doing, but you need to get these things watched before season two starts, all right? This is the single greatest episode, probably, for most people. I'm kind of torn between a couple of the episodes that I thought were really, really good, but I think this one just brings so much to it. There's depth, there's grit, there's humor, there's excitement. Uh, You get a lot of satisfaction as things have kind of crescendoed, and... For, for me personally, knowing... I didn't actually know this. I like literally just learned this before I recorded this. It's directed by Taika Waititi, who also directed Episode 7. So Episode 7 and 8 come as a pair. It's understandable that they would have allowed, allowed him to do this. He also did Episode 1. So really, really great that he got to, to set the trajectory springboarding episode one, then he gets to end the season with seven and eight. I don't know how much control or, or episodes they're giving him in season two, but he also directed Thor Ragnarok, which I am. That's like my favorite Marvel movie. So I love this guy. I gotta, I gotta figure out what else he's done. Cause I just figuring this out now. I'm like, okay, please let him direct a bunch in season, uh, season two. Also, if you're a fan of Giancarlo Esposito, the guy, uh, if you're familiar with Breaking Bad, uh, you get more screen time with him as Moff Gideon, which is excellent. Um, and you might not know this, one of the stormtroopers in this episode is voiced by Jason Sudeikis. Jason Sudeikis was uh, known on SNL for a variety of characters. Great Biden. Uh, he Probably the best that we've ever seen. A lot of the people that try to do Biden don't do a great job. I thought Jason Sudeikis did a good job. He's the voice of one of the stormtroopers. Uh, and, uh, I don't, is he still with Olivia Wilde? Uh, lucky guy. Uh, I think he's, I think he was with Olivia Wilde for a long time. Uh, but yeah, Jason Sudeikis is one of the stormtroopers. You have to listen for his voice. And then while this is concluding, uh, the first Mandalorian season, I think it does very clearly leave things wide open for the next season. And clearly it is wide open for the next season because the next season is three days from now. So the 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 actual setup and lead up to this episode i think makes it one of the one of the probably the fan favorites if you made people pick a favorite out of the 8 it also has an unfair advantage of coming at the end so like a lot kind of happens and it probably stands out the most uh, in your memory and just just a great great uh, climax to the entire season as far as plot synopsis goes without getting into spoilers okay no spoilers here Mando Kara and grief learn who their true enemy is and they discover that he knows a lot about them that's actually one of the cooler parts of this episode pay close attention to that when you're listening to the dialogue all right it adds some credence to some of our theories about some things that we're gonna get into in the in-depth review and the spoilers and stuff but we're not gonna get into that now so if you're again if you're watching this and you somehow have not watched episode 8 yet man oh man you gotta pay attention because it's actually pretty important Baby Yoda obviously takes center stage the child quote unquote the child Baby Yoda takes center stage as multiple parties converge on the survival or the exchange of the child his fate's not really known at the end of episode 7 and everything kind of converges on him in this episode which is understandable he is sort of the centerpiece from the very beginning it's called the Mandalorian but it's very very clearly uh, a joint effort by both Mando and the child taking center uh, you know center frame center stage of story so so often the story heats up in many ways and some surprise cast members make a return for the finale of season one so that's all i'm gonna say again it's unlikely somebody's watching this that hasn't watched episode eight but it's pretty cool to see uh some surprise cast members kind of showing up again to land the plane of uh, of the first season of mando last but certainly not least kind of my arguments and my evaluation 
Uh, if the season up to now had not really solidified Mandalorian as needed Star Wars content, uh, content, the final episode makes it perfectly clear. We haven't had the greatest and most consistent Star Wars content. Uh, the movies 7, 8, and 9 are all over the place in both fan-like and dislike, as well as critics-like and dislike, as as well as just story cohesion and Mandalorian really makes it clear that this is great Star Wars this was needed content and the final episode I wasn't really sure how they were going to have this series um, end you know they 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 certainly had a lot of confidence to make it clear that they weren't done I'm not going to spoil anything this is the non-spoiler review but I think they make it very very clear at the end that they're certainly not done with this story and so they must have been very confident about getting the green light maybe at the time they already were green lit for a second season uh, this is easily one of the best episodes of season one and it also I think allows many threads and characters to get a proper climax conclusion and continuance sometimes when a season ends in a particular show you have a lot of loose threads or things that don't get tied up you have all these question marks that's not always a bad thing because those can get answered and solved in a ne- in the next season that's not necessarily a bad thing however I do think that they do an excellent job in Mando making sure the various characters that you're interested in have some level of, as I call it, there's either a climax for them, a conclusion, or a continuance. You're like, okay, this person is still around and they have probably more to do. Season 2 will no doubt deliver the goods after such a consistent and brilliant artistic vision and delivery of Mandalorian Season 1. I'm very confident in this franchise. Uh, for For those of us that grew up with Star Wars, I think Mandalorian offers what Star Wars always was for us growing up. It's gritty. Uh, It's very, very gritty. It feels old. It feels dated. uh, And it feels otherworldly. Those are things that are lacking both, I believe, in the prequels as well as 7, 8, and 9. There is a lack of grit. There is a lack of feeling like an older time or another time. Uh, I think that both Rogue One and Mandalorian and even the video game Jedi Fallen Order deliver that aesthetic and that appeal. So Mandalorian, you know, season one, I think sets the stage for a couple of things. Number one, it obviously sets the stage for season two. But I also think Mandalorian sets the stage for what Star Wars live action should feel like. Okay? They don't need lightsabers and Jedi. They can have that next season. Okay? However, if you want to bring the grit and you want to bring that old classic Star Wars feel, I believe the bar has been set by Jon Favreau and all these directors, Taika Waititi and the rest, have set the bar. This is what Star Wars should feel like. So, very hopeful that next season even more Uh, cements that and reaffirms that what Star Wars should feel like because we know from some of the casting that we may see some Jedi next season and that's one of the probably the more delicate things it's not going to be so western driven anymore might start to see some of the force and uh, and some lightsabers because the force shows up in this in this season we already know that that's not a spoiler you've already seen that so that's going to conclude my non-spoiler review. Look for the in-depth review as a separate upload or just keep listening if you're listening to the audio. That will follow this. As always, you can catch us live at repeattheaterlive.com Monday through Thursday or go to sntrnetwork.com for all my shows and all my schedules to know what's going on and when. As always, please like, share, and subscribe. You are watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This is going to be my in-depth review with spoilers of Mandalorian Season 1, Episode 8. Uh, in the anticipation of season two, this is how we're going to do it. We'll do non-spoiler reviews, so you can just listen and see what I think about it at a given episode. But then I'll do the in-depth review that have virtually you know every plot point and spoiler that you can think of from the given episodes. We'll also have people following up with their own call-ins and talks uh, from the community. If you like this content want to catch me live, Monday through Thursday, repeattheaterlive.com. Repeattheaterlive.com will bring you to the YouTube channel to watch live. If you'd rather have all my shows in one place as well as a schedule of the watch parties and the reviews, go to sntrnetwork.com and bookmark sntrnetwork.com. So, this, as I said in my non-spoiler probably my favorite episode of the season it really solidifies just just this is just great star wars and it is without a doubt a great pairing with episode seven and since it was directed by the same person uh taika waititi it's very very clear uh after giving this guy episode one and then the final two he has a great vision for what this this franchise should feel like so i hope he gets a bunch in season two as well 
it's really helpful too they give you a recap of everything that's been going up and, and as episode 8 lands giving you a recap of everything that's happened I think was pivotal in really making episode 8 feel good that was another thing they did that I think really landed the the climax of the of the franchise or I'm sorry season I think was more effective because they give you that really good recap at the beginning and the speeder bikes uh, they bring Yoda back to the checkpoint and the stormtroopers are kind of bantering and shooting at the can I think this is great I know some people might look at this and think it's kind of corny where they're kind of showing that stormtroopers have bad aim in a comedic way they already kind of joked about this earlier uh, with Bill Burr's character where he was like, I wasn't a stormtrooper, you know, he was a, he was, <laughs> he's laughed about because, you know, the, the Mando's like, well, that's not saying much that he was, you know, working for the Empire. He's like, I wasn't a stormtrooper, so he's defensive about it, and then they even give you a scene here where the stormtroopers are kind of bad at shooting, and it's comical. This is also where you'll hear, you, you will hear Jason Sudeikis do some of the voice. IG-11 shows up and identifies himself as the child's nurse droid. This, to me, was the unseen hook that made Episode Eight so good. You weren't sure about IG-11. You know, Queel made sure, like, hey, he's not going to hurt him. He's been sworn to protect him or whatever. And this, to me, is how Queel lives on. Queel dies in Episode Seven. It's a bummer. Nick Nolte brought, a, I think, a, a great character to life, and they give really, really good background to what Queel's life was like in Episode Seven with indentured servitude and the Empire. And then the Empire kills him, and that I think to me was the saddest way for Queel to go out was that he finally had a life of peace outside of servitude to the Empire, and then he ends up getting gunned down by a stormtrooper. Now, they could bring him back. I don't know. He's just laying there. Maybe they're able to find him and help him and heal him or something. But IG-11 coming back into frame was pretty, pretty dope, I thought. Uh, Mandos have a, a covert down in the sewers. So the Mandalorians have a covert down in the sewers. And Mando's like, hey, we just need to get down in there. We'll be okay. Uh, Kara recognizes the E-Web gun, this huge gun they're going to set up. She's like, this is bad news. They're setting up an E-Web. And Moff Gideon reveals that he knows Kara and Mando's full names. Now, this to me gives some credence to the fact that Moff Gideon is the one that wanted the child. Okay? Moff Gideon is clearly good at finding databases and retaining information. So, to me, this could mean some of our theories about there being a cloning facility somewhere or a database somewhere that knew of a Yoda clone. This could, in fact, be a clone of Yoda, and this is why Moff Gideon has taken an interest. They're establishing, I think, I think, I think, I think they're establishing that Moff Gideon is a well-informed force for the Empire, and he does his due diligence, and he finds databases, and he finds out information. He knows uh, Kara Dune's full name, Mando's full name, and at this point, Mando's like, that's Moff Gideon, right? Moff gives them until nightfall. Now, I don't really understand. They, They don't really necessarily make sense of this, but... I think it. some have speculated that Moff Gideon doesn't just blow the place up because he's worried the child might be inside. He's not gotten confirmation that they have the child yet, and he, has, he doesn't have it in his possession. Until he has the child in his possession, he's not going to risk potentially killing the child, which means this child, this baby Yoda, is very, very important to Moff Gideon. They don't really make sense of it at the time. I'm like... What is this cliche, I'll give you till the end of the night thing? Why wouldn't you just blow the place up? Uh, Mando knows it's Moff Gideon, and then Kara and Mando reveal that a Mandalorian is not a race, it's a creed. Because Grief, um, Carl Weathers' character, seems to be under the impression that, like, you're a Mandalorian, you were born on on, on that planet, and he's like, no, it's not a race, it's a creed. So we get we get more depth into the, into the Mandalorians. Then we get the child flashback for the Mando. There's tons of Mandos. They show up. They rescue him. We've seen bits and pieces of this flash, you know, flashback the whole time, you know. And so you find out that Mandalor- Mando wasn't born on Mandalore. He wasn't born on Mandalore. He was a foundling, right? And Mando realizes why they haven't attacked. Moff doesn't have the child yet. So they do finally give you kind of a narrative reason why Moff Gideon won't just blow the place up and use the, the and use the E-Web gun. Then we get one of the 
This is a risky. I think this was actually a risky thing to do. This could have felt very jump the shark. They have IG on the speeder wrecking everyone and the child's on the front and at one point baby Yoda laughs. I don't care what you say. I love this. It felt great. It just was like an injection of joy and laughter. You're like, yes. You're like, IG is wrecking face and baby Yoda is just getting to enjoy the show. I think it's believable. They set up the IG unit at the very, very beginning. In episode one, they show this guy can take out multiple targets at once. He's quick. He doesn't miss, right? So I actually think I actually think they, 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 this is a believable scene. I think some people might look at this scene and be like, this is a little bit much. He's like driving into town with Baby Yoda on the speeder and just blowing everybody away. I love it, and you'll never take this away from me as a great scene. <laughs> you'll never convince me otherwise. I think the fight in the combat is actually really friggin' awesome. Kara and Mando, the IG unit, Moff shows no fear. They just come charging out. I really enjoy this scene. I think it's actually a really, really great... Um, sort of tribute to Star Wars combat, and yet it still feels very Mando. It feels like a Western shootout. It feels it feels uh, random and chaotic, and not pristine and not clean. It feels messy, and I like that. I think they own their identity in the Star Wars universe, and this is just another scene that solidifies that. IG takes care of the sewer grate, so they end up getting kind of pushed back inside because there are a lot of units still alive. And uh, Mando tells Kara to leave, and he gives her the sigil. So Mando gets hurt. Um, he gets like blown back or whatever, and he gets injured. And he's like, "Get out of here! Take the you know, take the child and leave." And then a fire trooper comes in and just lights the place up. And actually, Kara Dune covers Mando, so they're starting to give you glimpses into the fact that they're not just you know convenient acquaintances anymore. They're starting to care for each other. She takes a defensive position over Mando. The trooper comes in. Baby Yoda stops the fire and throws it back. Just a, just boom. And this time, Baby Yoda doesn't pass out. He just kind of like sits down. So he's seemingly maybe getting better with the force powers. He's getting better at wielding them and not wearing himself out. I thought this was probably one of the more impressive things he did. Obviously, the mud horn maybe was a bit more. He lifted it. But stopping fire, I think, is pretty extreme. This is another one of those times where I do think they maybe should have tried to secure some rights to the John Williams original score. This would have been a great time for some of that old music to just lightly play on a horn in the background because this is the ways of old. I mean, this is something that is more ancient than Mando, more ancient than what we're looking at. Like, this goes back, you know, thousands of years, and it would have been cool to use the music to tie it in. It's minor gripe, minor criticism. Maybe they get some of those rights next season. Um, They go to remove the helmet, and he's like, no living thing has seen me without it, and then the IG unit's like, I'm not a living thing. So... I don't know if we're supposed to presume this or not. I don't know if we're supposed to presume this, but the IG unit hands the child off to Kara, Kara, whatever, Kara Dune. I always want to call her Kara Dune. Kara Dune, and, or Kara. I can never remember how to pronounce it. I feel like they say it both ways. It's kind of like the Millennium Falcon, Millennium Falcon. Anyway, he hands the child off to her, maybe knowing he can save Mando and catch back up because he's not a living thing. So we finally see Mando's face. Awesome. I I thought this was a cool reveal. Uh, He ends up spraying him with like back to spray and he's like, it'll heal you in a couple of hours. So obviously now that he's, you know, he's a, he's a, a health unit. He's got, you know, these, these resources and things he can do. And they discover a pile of Mando helmets in the sewers. Pretty like worrying. Oh no, we're screwed. There's no Mandalorians down here. Um, and the armorer shows up and explains that the Empire showed up. So the armorer is never named. Um, the it's it's never named. So the, the the armorer is just like the woman from the beginning who like crafts his armor out of the Beskar. She shows up and she's like the Empire showed up. Uh, Mandalore the Great. And see, this is when we get... I don't know who this is in re- reference to. If this is in reference to Django or, or Boba Fett, I don't know who this is in reference to. But she says, Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers known as Jedi, they clashed. 
Many people think this refers to Django, maybe Boba. I don't know. Mandalore the Great, you might have to read extra books or things outside of the movies to understand who this is in reference to. I would say this is in reference to somebody else. Um, Mandalore the Great was a person. Yeah, so clearly the fight, the, the, the fights go back, I think, predating Django and Boba. I don't think it's related to them at all. That's I don't think you would have a name like that, Mandalore the Great. Um, and, and this is one of my favorite scenes because you get tons, I think you just get tons of depth. Number one, you get Mandalore the Great mentioned and the fact that he fought with these sorcerers known as Jedi and then basically she says you need to reunite it with its kind so she gives she gives Mando basically an order as as a, as a Mando he needs to reunite it with his kind he's like you expect me to reunite it with enemy sorcerers and she says this is the way <laughs> so I don't know about you but I got pretty excited when I heard that I actually forgot about that story element I was like Oh my gosh, they're literally verifying that he's going to be searching for Jedi in the next season. Like, that's his goal, is to find Jedi. And in his mind, they're the enemy. So I think that's going to be a really great tension for season two. And then she gives him the Rising Phoenix. He gets his jetpack, which is awesome. We were hoping that was going to happen. He says that in the one scene, like, I got to get me one of those. Pretty dope. And this is probably... My, if I had to pick, if you made me pick my single greatest uh, scene from Mandalorian season one, I would pick this one. When the troopers surround the armorer and she whoops the absolute snot out of them. This is my favorite scene in the entire season, and I'm going to explain why. It shows through combat that there is so much we don't know or understand about the Mandalorians and the fact that she can just kind of sit there and go toe-to-toe outnumbered just through pure brute force not only is it awesome to watch it just creates more mystery and intrigue into what the frick are these people what how did she do that like I absolutely it's my favorite scene I think there's so much that's good about it it was it was you were kind of worried you're like oh no is she gonna get wiped out too she's clearly She's clearly not going anywhere. <laughs> I loved it. I absolutely love that scene. It's pretty brutal. It's gritty. It's tough. She's cracking their armor. I love it. I love everything about it from the sound design to the choreography. It just delivers. And uh, I like it because it's not Mando being resourceful and flamethrowing and doing all this different stuff. I think there's some great scenes for Mando, but I think this is one of the one of the best scenes in the entire series. Uh, they get into this lava river exodus and the troopers are waiting and so IG comes to the conclusion that the child cannot be put in danger and he says this is not acceptable there is no scenario where the child lives and I survive so if you say the child is safe with you I can default to my manufacturer defaults so I think this is when I have a deep appreciation for the writing they don't just create some weird fan fantastic scene where like IG can save the day. They actually create what I would say is believable IG unit lore, I guess, in that he can default to his his manufacturer uh, defaults if his if his mission to protect the child has been satisfied. If someone else like the child will be safe with me. And I thought it was interesting that he basically says he can tell the Mando is sad, like he detects it in his voice. That was interesting. I mean, if you think about it, Mando hates droids up to this point, like hates them. And the one that he started to like ends up having to die. I think that's probably where the grief is coming from. Because if you think about Mando's history, his family was killed by droids. So he hates them and doesn't want anything to do with them. Grief, uh, Carl Weathers character, Grief tells uh, the baby to do the magic hand thing. And then Yoda waves at him. One of my favorite scenes. <laughs> so the TIE fighter shows up. He's like, do the magic hand thing. And baby Yoda charmingly waves back at, at grief. Mando fights with the TIE fighter. And uh, I just think it's very slapped together and very Mando. They, this is, this is another scene. Okay. So if you think about the, you think about the speeder scene with the IG unit shooting everybody. And you think about this scene where a single person is fighting a TIE fighter. It could have very easily felt a little jump the shark. Like it's a little too much. This is a little like over the top. Oh, you know, you're, you're turning him into something that he's not. I actually think they set up the scenes in a way 
that you believe Mando could pull this off. Number one, he just got his jetpack. Number two, he's got some resourceful sort of luck on his side. Number three, I continue to think the Force is at work here. I think the Force, all along the way, is protecting this child. Is bringing about these, uh, bringing about these elements of, it's not luck. If you remember Obi Wan telling Han Solo, "There's no such thing as luck." I would say that applies here in a lot of these scenarios and a lot of these situations where Mando surprisingly pulls it off and it seems kind of crazy. I believe it's a mixture of Mando's fighting prowess, resourcefulness, as well as the Force bringing about what it wants to happen. Because I believe the child is vital, uh, is vitally important to uh, the future of the Force. So it kind of ends with Grief making it clear that the guild will accept Mando back and Cara Dune is probably going to work with Grief. They're kind of, kind of, you know, tag team it seems. Mando has more pressing matters and he leaves with Baby Yoda. Uh, the symbol or the signet is around Baby Yoda's neck and he says, why don't you hang on to that? And that's kind of the last we see of those two. So it's clear there's becoming a sort of a hybrid here of he is trying to reunite Baby Yoda with his people, and yet Baby Yoda is going to be imprinted upon by the Mando customs and the Mandalorian way, which could lead to an incredibly cool story or character long term. I don't know what their plans are with the aging of this child. As slow as they age, you know, he's 50 something. Yoda was 900 something when he died. We might not see any progress of the of the child actually aged cuz that would mean Mando would be dead. Mando's not immortal. So, and then we see Moff Gideon is still alive and he's got a dark saber, which you have no idea what that is if you don't read the books and know that that's something he probably got from Mandalore uh, and that's something that has existed in, in some of the books and stuff. It's not in, uh, it's, I, I don't know if they have any of that in Clone Wars, but I, it's not in any of the movies, any of the main uh, mainstay movies, any of the mainstream movies. I know the Clone Wars series is beloved and great and I'm getting back into it because I know next season has some characters gonna, that are carrying over. So, again the I think probably the best episode in the entire season makes it clear there's more going on and also makes it clear that there are really cool things ahead oh it is in Clone Wars okay okay I'm nearing the end of season one of Clone Wars so cut me some slack I'm watching it with my kiddos I like it it is a little cheesy it is a little made for kids at least initially it is uh, but it's good Star Wars it's good Star Wars and my kids love it so we've been watching through those because I know there's going to be some tie-in in Mando season two so by and large, uh, great Star Wars, some of my favorite Star Wars content to date, and uh, I think I thought they really, really landed the plane well, and I cannot wait to watch Mando Season 2 with you and cover it. Uh, we'll probably go into a VIP breakdown with some of the bigger fans of Star Wars, which is something you can do if you pick the VIP tier of support here on this channel or on the Patreon. As always, if you want to watch live, go to repeattheaterlive.com, or if you want all my content and schedules in one location, go to sntrnetwork.com. Uh, If you're watching or listening to this in the other locations, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This is going to be the VIP kind of little roundtable that we do. Typically, you'll hear a lot of these following Marvel movies and Mando. If you're listening to this as a po- uh, like a podcast somewhere or watching uh, the YouTube videos, you can always watch live, repeattheaterlive.com. Monday through Thursday, we're doing these episodes. And you can go to sntrnetwork.com. sntrnetwork.com. Bookmark it. It's got all my shows there as well as schedules for the watch parties and these reviews so you know what's coming. So today I got Giza and Wolverine with me. These are probably familiar voices to you if you've listened to the episodes about Star Wars as well as Marvel. Uh, They're commonly calling in and discussing with me. I'm going to start with Giza. You know, as a season finale and as as Star Wars content goes, I was saying I thought this was the best. I thought this was probably the strongest episode. They kind of pulled out all the stops, saved everything for last. Was there anything I failed to mention, notice, or, you know, what are your thoughts overall as it landed as as a finale? Uh, no, I totally agree. I thought this was absolutely amazing uh, finale. Um, again, great payoff for everything that we've seen before. Um, again, I thought things like the actual production values and a lot of the action sequences were, again, amazing. As you said, the scene with IG-11 on the speeder bike, take out the Stormtroopers, and then also Mando's sort of fight against the TIE fighter, as it were. I, mean, I don't think I've actually ever seen action scenes that dynamic on TV and done so well. So it really is cinema quality. So 
again that was amazing and then just the information they gave us about the, the backgrounds to obviously all three of the characters i guess it's maybe something they'll touch on later and then of course the the, the ending with the, the dark save for, for those who have sort of do know a bit more about the star wars lore right and that was a real kind of kind of the real gasp moment then that really kind of hooks you into what's going to happen next season uh and also, i'm sure we'll talk about more about that I I like that they did it too because if you don't know what it is it immediately is intriguing (laughs) excuse me it's immediately intriguing I'm like what the frick was that you know what I'm saying like I didn't know what it was so it kind of hits both both audience members you know like you you're either super super big on it and you know exactly what it is or you don't and either way I think it actually works as a uh, as a point of intrigue and interest. Yeah, no, I uh, totally agree. Yeah, I mean, I have seen sort of the Clone Wars. I saw Battle Outs where the, the Dark Saber was first um, introduced into Star Wars. Um, I know it's popped up since then. I think the last was in Rebels, which is something I haven't seen. So I've only sort of seen Clone Wars. So I've done a sort of bit of research on YouTube to see. But yeah, there's clearly a lot that happens in between the last time you see it in Rebels and then also when it appears in Moff Gideon's hand and I think based on some of the people who will be popping up in season 2 you maybe might get some of those gaps filled in in terms of what's happened yeah I like that you mentioned too that the way they film the like the action sequence it's not just as a Star Wars fan you're like okay that's kind of crazy he's fighting a TIE fighter it is actually very well done like it, the, the production quality is uh is really really solid um just as an action sequence you know you if, if you've watched shows like i don't know other sci-fi shows and stuff sometimes it's it's all in outer space but this was kind of it felt like they that good combination of a a guy in a you know an actual costume and armor you know flying around fighting a spaceship it was actually i think a yeah. good action sequence All right, all right. Well, if you want to weigh in here, I mean, it, as far as looking forward to next season, and this is a, a great ender, and also just, I mean, it, it, the fact that they let uh, Taika have both episode one and the last two, you know, maybe you, you sometimes know more than me about this, about maybe what his influence will be on season two, um, or, you know, anything I might have missed, because there's always some of those little tidbits I, I, I might gloss over. Well, yeah, there's one thing that you did um, in, in regards to the first thing you just mentioned about Taika. You know, Taika and, and I think, you know, Hollywood and a lot of uh, those people have started to realize a lot of things that he's touching is, is turning to gold, you know, uh, with its uh, his enormous start with uh, Thor, Thor Ragnarok. And then everything that he's uh, putting his hands into in this series have turned into, you know, really great pleasers. Um you know, there's uh, you, you. First of all, your your talk was excellent. You hit all the major parts, um, and even the little thing that I'm going to mention, I don't think it was huge, but like I thought it brought an even bigger backstory to Cara Dune. Um, when Gideon lands and he's basically giving this interrogation, he's giving the rundown of of Din Djarin and Cara Dune. There's one thing I was just like, you know what? What made Cara want to become a shock trooper? Cara Dune of Alderaan. She was a kid, and and her storyline and how she might have escaped Alderaan. I'm, I'm assuming you remember Alderaan, correct? Yeah, it's the one that gets blown exactly, up. Exactly, exactly. And that's why one thing I'm, I'm surprised you didn't mention is that we didn't know that prior to him mentioning that she's from a, a, an extinct world of an extinct race of people. What was the main factor for a, a person like her to want to get in and just be the most uh, you know, badass part of a, the rebellion army, which was essentially the shark shock troopers, you know, were the first people on the line. So I thought that was awesome. You know, it, it almost gave me chills as she was just like Cara Dune of Alderaan. And like, what? You know, right. So, you know, that was obviously the geek in me just like blowing up is just a little bit more backstory of exactly who these people are. And even, even, um, uh, I always call him Apollo, but Grief Karga, um, learning that he was a diplomat you know what was he into prior to that you know it's just the way he speaks the way he goes about himself it almost he fit the the category Mm -hmm. and the persona of of what it was that uh uh gideon uh let us know know about um yeah so that was just that one little thing i think uh with things like the dark saber and um the armors mentioning of um 
Mandalore, Mandalore the Great, and uh, the battle with the Jedi. I think those are these are little plot points, and I've been reading uh, YouTube chat more specifically. They're hitting great points in terms of Star Wars lore that was almost decanonized with the whole Kathleen Kennedy introduction, but was almost reintroduced again with these little tidbits that were given. Um, real briefly, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, great game. Uh, there's you know parts of it that we are seeing that are almost being touched on. When she mentions Mandalore the Great and the Jedi's, if you played that game and you know a little bit about Darth Revan, Darth Revan received his mask from that war, and along with that great power of the great Jedi's, Malak and Revan were the two reasons why essentially the Jedi's overcame that war. I know I'm, I'm digging a little deep here, but just these are these are things that as fans. Not even just of the movies, but of the great, the greater stories within the games and within the comics and, and, and the manga. You know, we're, we're we're they're being brought to life again, and and these are things that like people will love, and and along with uh, um, the next season being introduced with new characters and even you know characters that people love to see return. Uh, Bo-Katan and uh, the actress who's playing uh, Bo-Katan, uh, I hope I don't uh, butcher her name, Katie Sackhoff, she's essentially playing herself of who she played in Rebels. So it's it's going to be a lot of, 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 of Star Wars interconnecting stories. Uh, real quickly, uh, the, the flashback, and I, I, I know only some people might have picked this up, but the flashback of... Din being saved by the man, uh, the Mandalorians and the jetpacks that came by to stop the Separatist army. Their mark on their armor was of the Death Watch. The Death Watch at that time were the probably the most elite force within you know the Mandalorian ranks. And from what we know, also from Rebels, I know I'm, I'm really digging here, but the Death Watch were separated into two factions. One faction being led by Darth Maul. So, you know, we're touching all kinds of territories that these directors, Favreau, Taika, and, and especially with, with the guidance and, and, and help of Dave Filoni, we're, we're touching into all elements of Star Wars. It's going to unite a bigger fan base. And, and it's almost given me a reinvigorated hope. <laughs> and I know that's really a, a pun of a new hope in the Star Wars, but it's really what it is. And, and they're doing amazing, amazing things, and and it's it's almost like I said, a revitalization. You know, I, I hate to knock on these new movies as much as we do, but like it's just it was it took the air out of me. It really did because I when when you saw the trailer for Force Awakens the first time, you I think everyone was excited. No one knew what to expect. We didn't know what was to come of it, but like these this show has given me that excitement again. Yeah, I'm. I agree. I agree with everything you said. I'm. I'm bummed I didn't pick up on the older end thing because I think that does give. They don't even, and that's something they do in this show. They don't have to tell you what that means. It's clear that that would more than likely mean she had relatives, friends, or a history white because she was. She didn't die. She wasn't there. But if she's of Alderan, I love that they set that up as a, an anti-empire vengeance motivation for her with one line, you know? Um, now, what do you think about my theory that Gre- uh, that Moff Gideon is clearly a man who knows things? He collects data, so he's got all this intel on them, and that's part of the pursuance of the child, that, in fact, that could give credence to a theory that there was a database somewhere, that this does, in fact you know this could be a yoda clone like i'm not saying it's a strong argument but it did it did interest me that moff gideon was the one that came that wanted the child it wasn't the old man it wasn't him it was moff and moff makes it very clear in this scene this guy gathers info and data on his enemy which would lead to the idea that no yoda was cloned at some point and that's why they were testing the child when they found it. That's why they were scanning it to verify its legitimacy. And his mention of their background and info maybe gives some credence to that theory. Like he's a way in first. Um, well, I mean, I say, obviously, Moff Gideon, I mean, just for his title alone, he was quite high up. And he's, I think he's one of the few people they've introduced who would actually know of the Jedi. 
because Yamra mentioned there, and in next season we're going to people who actually fought alongside the Jedi when the Empire first rising up. So certainly he, whether or not Yoda is a clone or sort of original, but he certainly knows of of the power, the potential power that Yoda would have and sort of its value uh, to him. I say whether or not it's a clone or not, uh, I guess remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, so Chris, I mean, he knows exactly, I think, the value of Yoda and what he can do. And so I guess it's a question of seeing sort of how that goes in. Because I think, I mean, sort of looking at the cast, it's the Doctor from the episode three who you know, said he was trying to protect Yoda. I think he's going to pop up again in season two. So clearly something's going to be revisited and you might see a bit more of of Gideon's actual uh, sort of what, what his plans are, I guess, and his motivations for actually going after Baby Yoda. I agree. I think there's so much right now of Moff Gideon that we don't know. I think your uh, plot and theory on being a clone and, and the fact that this um, scientist insignia on his uniform had Camino uh, markings, I think that's a huge tall tale sign that there's something coming and i i think that also plays a lot of credence in the fact that we already don't know so much about a yoda's race <laughs> i'm laughing right now because i'm thinking of that yaddle picture that we laughed about yeah. for about 30 minutes but other other than really of what we know about yoda that's i mean it's just him that's that's all we know and so i think there's a lot of you know avenues they can take to tell a story of what it is with this child if if he is indeed a clone um one thing i want to bring up about real quickly about um moff getting out with the dark saber and and the ramifications that has on the storyline in terms of how he got into possession of it real quickly uh the one mandalorian uh, a person of, of the Mandalorian race that was accepted into the Jedi Order, uh, Tar Vizala, he's the person who created the Darksaber and, and the person wielding the Darksaber and most of the images that you, you can Google of it. So his knowledge of not just of the main characters that we know, we're going to preemptively assume that he has knowledge of not just the Jedi because of his uh, extreme need for wanting the child but also his possession of the dark saber i think he he knows a lot more of the jedis than that is led to believe and i think his urge to 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 have power not only harkens on the point that i was talking about last week uh where he where he just killed one of the the soldiers for interrupting i i think he wants that darth vader approach that sith that power that that overwhelming fear from the from his underlings i think that plays into his, the power concept that is gideon yeah i to me i think that is one of the bigger questions about the story whether it is a clone of yoda or not what exactly is their end game here if baby yoda the child whatever name they decide to eventually give it if they give it one if his aging is as slow as they say is that essentially where the series ends or leaves off is with with Mando I we, we, we've kind of thought Mando's going to go back to that girl take his helmet off like that's going to be their big season fin- series finale you know they'll get four or five seasons in and they'll, they'll call it a day and they'll leave him with Jedi somewhere that can both protect him and train him in the way he should be trained does the, is that the end of it? Are they ever going to let this thing grow up and actually be a fully grown Jedi Yoda th- character, whatever? Or is this thing locked? Like Because it's so young, and he is clearly one of the most charming aspects of the show. I'm actually really curious what their goals are with the child, uh, more than anything, as far as a long-term plan goes. I mean, for me, thinking really, really sort of long-term tracking... I go back to obviously mentioning what Wolverine said about Death Watch being the people who saved um, the Mando as a child. So going back now, it was actually Pre Vizlu was the leader of Death Watch when they were first introduced in the Clone Wars. And at that point, they were actually a almost a, a terrorist group who were going against the, the actual current ruling class of Mandalore at the time, who were basically going for a more peaceful approach to sort of political affairs. Whereas Death Watch wanted to 
the whole internet warrior um, sort of traditions, as it were. And he, as I say, previously was the uh, leader of Death Watch, and he was wielding Dark Blade at the time, which is a symbol of Mandalorian um, sort of leadership. Uh, and Bo Katan was actually sort of uh, working with him at the time. And so, with that going forward, now that we obviously see then that obviously Jinjarin now has been given his own clan and Baby Yoda is now past that clan and being the only Jedi Mandalorian I mean going far far into the future is there a point at which he should be wielding, wielding the Darksaber as a Jedi and as leader of his Mandalorian clan obviously that, that's spitballing for the future but that's kind of um, uh, hmm the concept of the dark saber was interesting because it's it almost it, it gives a a sense of power within the ranks of the mandalorians um i, I compared it to uh, i don't know if anybody here has watched uh the hobbit series and the uh the arkenstone that was pre uh um coveted by the the doors that's where i kind of got that feeling like whoever had that in possession was essentially the leader um of the mandalorians and um i feel as well as this 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 arc that we're talking about where they're going to go with the child i feel like they're going to take this series as well into other different directions you know we we, we haven't talked about um you know Boba and and Timothy Oliphant's character and where he's gonna fit. From what I've been reading, his character is almost going to be uh, like he's a bounty hunter of bounty hunters on Tatooine. Like he's uh, essentially looking for uh, either Mandalorians or or other p persons of interest. I, so I'm I'm curious where the story's gonna take us outside of what we are in search of within Gideon and the child, but also closing circles uh, from before in, in terms of either if there is a involvement of Boba Fett. If, if that is who his character is supposed to be, a bounty hunter of bounty hunters, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, what's his name, Timothy Oliphant or whatever? Um, yeah. I, he might be the guy with the spurs. Like, if he's on Tatooine and he's taking an interest into to a dead mercenary... And he was essentially potentially on the trail of two bounty hunters that came to Tatooine. That could be him, because we, you know, that fits right. He's just got a cowboy look. He, he was unjustified, wasn't shout. he? Like, yeah. So that could be. Shout. I think that could be him. We were hoping that'd be Boba Fett, but I mean, I think it makes more sense if if you're right. If that leak is in fact correct, that's his character. That's I wouldn't be surprised if maybe that's who that was. Um, I want to just uh, respond to uh, Poet Anderson. Um, the shock troopers, uh, from what I know, they were essentially the, the grunts on the line handling things such as flamethrowers, taking down fortifications. Like, they, they were doing some dirty work. You know, it, it really wasn't, let alone a position, you know, for a young girl, I'm sure, to have aspirations to really want to take down, you know, the enemies that destroyed her planet. So, you know, it made it made sense learning that she was from Alderaan, that, you know, she took up such a, uh, a harsh role <laughs> within the rebellion. But um, to, to the next thing, then the Mandos that rescued the Mandalore are also the loyalists that fall to Ahsoka. Yeah, you know, that's what people are, are assuming from what I was reading, that that the, the Death Watch group that saved Mando were the Death Watch group pre-Maul's inter interference within uh, the Mandalorian ranks. Um, also the Mandalorian approach from Reds is also different than I was referencing the show. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's been so many wars within the Mandalorian conflict. I, I was reading also of a Mandalore, the ultimate, uh, that had, that had also fought, uh, Revan, I believe. So, you know, a lot of these stories, uh, can get, can get misconstrued. Uh, I know between a lot of the people, but yeah, just, I know for a fact though, that the shock troopers, you know, they, they were, they were in the fight. That with the rumors of Cara Dune getting her own show, I think that'd be great to do the flashbacks of like why she got involved, what happened to Alderaan, how she got out in time, like or why she wasn't there. Absolutely. Well, yeah, was she on a trip? Was she whatever? And then her having to prove herself, like that would make sense of why she's such a strong fighter. Is they would probably, I mean, you could do some of the cliche, you're a girl, you're too weak, blah blah blah, and then she can really prove herself because I mean she is friggin' tough. She's whooping, she's flipping Mando around like a rag doll. I mean. She's she's bad to the bone. I mean that belt fight, that electrical like red belt fight. She whoops that guy like 
that'd be great there's nothing better than seeing like the the young motivated person who has to prove how strong they are like i think it'd be great to give her uh, but you'd want to have things happen to her in the present but then give some of those those flashbacks to her origin because i i think she's what other conviction what other conviction would you need for a character to to have to witness your planet being exploded by the death star and the empire you know it's going to be interesting if if they do take that that narrative point in terms of her exodus from the planet whether it was pre preemptive or you know it's hard to tell if people were worried to see like maybe maybe after hearing rumors of the de- of the death star from what we've seen it do in rogue one maybe there was knowledge and maybe they can incorporate that maybe kara and her family or whoever had time to escape or if she had a front row seat like leia did where she just watched it you know explode and she, her her intake instead of despair was just you know vengeance and conviction well, yeah, because the Death Star is there for a while. I mean, you'd have had time to get ships off. I mean, because yeah. they, they're kind of we're assuming, sure. Yeah, there was definitely rumors about more than likely at that time of what this thing was. You know, it would have been scary to have it in your. You know, I could see her, her parents putting her on a transport and them getting left behind, and then she has to see it happen. And yeah, I mean, there's there's. It's always great. Like damaged characters are the best characters because they're, you know, they're believable. You know, it's like we've all gone through crap in our life, and it's it's more relatable when the the character is is damaged. I always tell it to my wife. I'm like, I know it's gonna happen. I know they're gonna kill this love interest. They want to damage this character. I hate when I know that that's coming. <laughs> it's like they're gonna they're gonna take the character to low. Um, and uh, I, that I think would be some just really good. I, I would love to have a great backstory for her like that because I think she is, um, I don't know. I I think when we were, I was watching it with my wife, she was like, I like when they don't have to prove to me she's tough. She just is. Like, mm-hmm. they don't have to like, like hit you over the head. It's like, no, she's literally just tough. And then you just get to enjoy the character instead of feeling like they're, they're trying to, you know, hit you over the head with a two by four. Do you get it? She's tough. She's strong. She's cool. Like, they don't have to do that with her. She kind of, she just is on her own. You, you her knew own she was tough and, and had the preconceived notion she was tough. And then when you find out she's from Alderaan, essentially, you know, a, a non-existent race of people, it's just like, come on, like, you just you just gave this woman all, all the toughness that she's ever going to need. Yeah. 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 It's quite similar to the Forger as well, because obviously the scene where there's stormtroopers, and she, like, single-handedly just takes them all out with a hammer mm. and tongs. It's like, you know, obviously everyone sort of defers to her. She's using pseudo authority so you know there's something about her and it's like you just know that when she and with the hammer and tongs which she usually uses to create as well so and that, that was another quite cool scene as well i want to pick uh, both your guys brain because i'm pretty sure you're this is about well around the time you'd want to close it out but um where what are your uh hopes and and possible expectations maybe even you know, give me a hypothetical of a what if you might want to see. I, I want them to be bold with the presence of Jedi. I that's what I want. I feel like they were really careful to set this up as a space western Mando shootouts, no Jedi. But I think they've lit the runway lights with the dark saber. All right, be bold. Like own. I want them to own the Star Wars universe in a way that that we need right now because we just. Seven, eight, and nine are just, they're all over the place. Like, that's what I want. It's like, it's okay to forge your own path. And since we know Ahsoka and some of these others are going to be showing up, I, I'm, that's what I want to see. I don't necessarily have like a laundry list of like, we better get a lore explanation of, of, of if it's baby Yoda or not, or blah, blah, blah. No, I, I think they need to be bold with the Jedi because I think they've, they've earned their stripes. They've earned the right to inject that now into the story. And they, uh, I'm glad they didn't do it in the, in the first season. Um, it wasn't needed, but I think they could bring it in the next season and not feel like it's gonna, it's gonna change the identity of the show. No, no, I feel exactly the same. I mean, I think the fact that first little donors sorcerers, and it's only in the last episode where he actually mentions the word Jedi. Mm. I think the fact that they actually mentioned it now seems to me like it's going to go further down that line and, you know, not dump it on us, but they're certainly going to introduce it a bit more about probably what it means to have been a Jedi. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's something that he'll learn along the way. Um, 
Obviously, at some point, some kind of instruction, I guess, has to be given to um, Baby Yoda as he's growing up. You know, some way that he can either understand the powers that he has um, and, I guess, sort of take that forward. But, yeah, that's what, so what I'm hoping for. And I guess just a, a bit more about sort of Moth Gideon, I guess, maybe trying to fill in some of those blanks between sort of what happened in the Great Purge, which seems to be a big thing, and then sort of where we are now and all that sort of connects because a lot seems like a lot of characters who are connected to sort of the empire first coming up and everything who are now sort of being brought back in now they've almost established this timeline without being too much affected by what's happened previously and now they're starting to bring some of those characters in so it'd be quite good to see how they integrate sort of in, in the new world that sort of john farrow seems to be creating for star wars those those are awesome uh you know and and those i think those are expectations i think that we can we can all take and not feel that we're entitled to some things i think that this show has delivered to to the star wars audience in in such a time where they needed it and wanted it because of you know the divisiveness that was the the new set of movies you know i i um my hopes uh are as more a little bit more detail in terms of explaining whether or not uh din uh, mando has uh, at least a knowledge or understanding of jedi maybe he can learn a little bit more and it'll actually detail us uh, a bit broader story of uh his involvement baby yoda's involvement um i a big want for me is i definitely want to see boba fett back i think it's a big part of star wars lore and culture that people love and can resonate to mm-hmm. i um i feel that he uh his story deserves a little bit better than the way it ended in return of the jedi <laughs> i think maybe that would almost bring back that grit to that character more specifically um a big want and and i guess hypothetical hope i i'd like to see out of the show a little bit more where i fall in love with star wars and and my introduction being return of the jedi that formula within the the ending climax of the movie where you have a lightsaber fight a ground fight and a space fight i always was so sucked in by the the space fight and this and what was going on in in that realm i've always felt that that was always a good star wars way to go but i'd like to see maybe a little bit more space altercations uh within the season i know it's a little bit give and take considering the character that we're talking about and um the razor crest not being an x-wing but if there was some sort of involvement of, of a space battle sequence i think it would it would hit it out of the park yeah yeah to for the some of somebody in chat saying leave the jedi out as long as possible i i do think it'd be cool to really delay giving us what we're hoping to see which is you know some lightsaber some jedi you know training maybe or just just jedi presence you could you could save that i mean you could even i mean really you could be really cruel and the season finale of of season two like we get all the way to the end of season two and we finally get the hum of a lightsaber and you're like here we go like they finally found them or they finally found i i don't know if you're gonna get that though i mean if if ahsoka's been been cast (laughs) she's gonna have sabers on her you know what i'm saying so i i don't i I would love to see them, you know, do that, like make you really wait and be patient. But I feel like they're really going to they're going to bring Jedi in pretty quickly, given how the season ended with a dark saber and the mention of Jedi. I don't think they're going to make you wait that long, maybe a couple episodes. Maybe they're not going to give it to you. Episode one. They're really going to dangle it and make you wait. But I I can't see them going seven episodes and then finally in, in episode eight of season two, you get it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I I, uh, I like that you know the Jedi to these characters like Mando and, and and the characters that we were introduced in Rogue One. They treated the Force and the Jedi as almost like a myth or you know some sort of like space science that only little people knew, and, and that adds to the the mythos of the Jedi within the Star Wars universe itself. But like, I mean, I know so many people want to get away from the skywalker saga okay like i get it you want new stories and you want but like that the skywalker sagas essentially is star wars if you you can't mention anything in star wars that isn't circled back to the skywalker saga because any of these stories from the past 
or the future that are taking place in KOTOR. It all comes back to the original thought. I think that we are due for new stories, whether they're in the, the cinemas or whether they're on Disney Plus or what have you, that are different from Skywalker. Yes, but to cut off the fans that are so loyal to that storyline cold turkey is not the move and i can and i think we can see from our responses to the new series of movies and all the other uh uh ips that came out after uh disney's um acquisition of star wars yeah yeah okay final thoughts because i mean the it's this Friday, man. We're gonna be diving in. We'll, we're gonna we're gonna watch together on Monday nights, just so you guys know. Monday nights, because Friday nights fight night, and the weekends are really reserved for movies. So for the watch parties, we will be doing Mando Mondays. So man- Monday nights are gonna be reserved for the Mando episodes each week. I'm gonna watch them Friday mornings to do spoiler, non-spoiler reviews every Friday morning, and then we'll do our in-depth reviews like this on on the Tuesdays. So final thoughts, you know, it, 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 the next season starts. Did we miss anything? Anything you want to say before we wrap on the last episode, last talk of season one of Mando? Um, for me, again, I'm just looking forward to sort of looking from the trailers introduction of some new characters and again just building upon the the world that they have created very much separated from the movies is his own thing but you know it still has that star wars feel and like i said you know my trust is it is in john favreau's uh john favreau i think he'll definitely pull it off and so yeah just looking forward to all the new stuff coming through yeah, the trust in these these uh, directors and these visionaries like Favreau and Filoni, uh, there's got to be more of a role for them within the franchise. These guys will take this, uh, you know, IP to a whole new level of storytelling. It will reinvigorate not just the movies; it will reinvigorate the shows. It'll reinvigorate the theme parks. I'm, I'm telling you, these guys have the recipe, that grandma's cookie recipe you're always referring to, Lono. It's mm-hmm. they He has it. Favreau, yep. Filoni, they got it. Yep. And giving them the creative control that a lot of people want to see them have, it, you know, it, it'll, it'll create more discussions that we're having. Um, lastly, you know, if people, you know, people got so many um, things they want to add to the conversation, please jump in. You know, he, he talks about Star Wars every Tuesday through The Mandalorian and we'll incorporate, I'm sure, the uh, the new new series, the the old movies and then the prequels. And, you know, it's that those I'm sure will bring up discussion and people will butt heads. And that's great. That's great because. You know, that's what Star Wars has been missing for, for a minute now and, and discussion in terms of where the new fans see it, where the old fans see it, where we can kind of bridge the gap. Because, you know, new stories are, you know, what will keep this going. And I, I think um, it, it will set a tone for the future for great storytelling. Yeah, I, when when I ended my review and I basically said that I feel Mandalorian has set the bar for both future seasons of itself but also star wars content in general i i i feel like i finally know what it is when i put when i started saying words like grit and heart and ancient feeling right i think the new movies if we ignore the convolution like with the writing or even the prequels they get they they have like action sequences and sound effects and the original score right even good casting okay but they they lack in the other departments. What I think Mando does is it checks all the boxes. The action's good, the writing's good, casting, even the comedy. But then it puts all of those inside of this really, really nice shell. And that shell is the grit and that heart and that ancient feeling. It just it it brings it all together. It's a nice it's a nice container. Uh it's like putting beautiful flowers in in a, in a really really good nice old looking vase and instead of like it feels like sometimes some of the movies are a beautiful like bouquet of flowers and someone shoved it in a cardboard box it's like what is this like the the container of delivery i think matters and i think mandalorian doesn't just give you more star wars it hits the markers of good action comedy and and writing and casting and they deliver it in a container that feels like star wars i think this is why mando and rogue one hit those markers for me there's something about that 
those particular words the grit and the heart and the ancient feeling is just right and I really really hope there's a lot of inspiration that comes from this series that sets the tone for all other Star Wars uh, movies and TV shows because man they've they have thrown down a gauntlet of excellence and if you don't if you don't hit this bar you're gonna it's gonna be it's gonna hurt like it'll flop people will say oh come on you know Mando set the tone let's set the stage here we we know what Star Wars can look and feel like um, and it harkens back to that the the old movies the new hope where everything was you know propped and costumed and real it had that gritty real feel and uh, I hope I really really hope that's what we continue to see both from this show and uh, and all the other all the other content on the horizon so we're gonna wrap on that note the next time we talk about Mando it'll be this Friday morning I'll be doing a non-spoiler review of episode 1 Mando season 2 we'll do the in-depth review a couple days later giving everybody time to watch and you can watch it with me watch party this coming Monday night go to sntrnetwork.com the schedules are there if you're always wondering what's going on and when if you go to sntrnetwork.com and then just do the drop down menu go to repeat theater go to schedule the live review schedules are there so you know whenever I'm going live and discussing but the watch party schedules are also there if you're kind of curious when we're going to be watching what and uh, as a way to plan so tonight's watch party's evil episode one last night was Queen's Gambit and then Mando Mondays Monday nights will be Mandalorian week to week is going to be really really fun watching this new season with you guys as always if you're listening or watching in the other locations please like share and subscribe